and i mean it was hard but at that point for me it was i need to make a decision i either need to you know focus on this accounting job that i have or i need to focus on this company that could really grow if i put my entire if i put all my energy into it and all of my focus into it um but yeah i mean i I got pushed back from a lot of people for probably that first four or five years, um, thinking it was a really terrible investment and direction and thinking it was more of a hobby. Um, in my mind, it was always gonna be a business, but I think other people looked at, um, looked at it as a hobby, you know, and just something that I was tinkering with here and there. Um, but I, again, I, I always in the back of my head, knew where things could go if you know we just dedicated all of our if i just dedicated my time to it and fortunately we have seen that you know seen that growth um happen welcome to the driving force podcast everyone i'm your host chase rosa a former private equity analyst turned endurance athlete this podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Patrick Todd. Patrick is an endurance athlete, notably having completed three iron distance triathlons and a 50k ultra marathon, and he is the co-founder of Timer Guys, the premier race, di race directing and timing company in the state of Kansas. Formed by the merger of Oz Endurance and Go Race Management in 2016, Timer Guys was created to continue to, to continue to grow the running community in the Midwest and directly owns over a dozen events and works with over 150 races each year, including last year's Boston Marathon and many 100-mile races. In this interview, we get into the impact the current pandemic situation has had on his business, the inspiration for starting Timer Guys, all of the all of the various tasks and responsibilities involved in making a race run smoothly, and the rising popularity of gravel grinds and ultra marathons. And so, without further ado, my interview with Patrick Todd. So, have you had to cancel a lot of your upcoming events uh, due to the coronavirus? We have. Um to kind of go into a timeline for us um we had three late three races lined up on march um 14th and um on the 10th we had a staff meeting and kind of went over um everything and at that point in time i was still kind of like this is just gonna pass to go you know everybody's getting kind of crazy about it um later on that day i spoke to one of my race directors for one of the events that weekend and she kind of gave me a, a little more detail kind of gave me a little more insight as to what was going on in europe because she had some friends over in europe um that had been dealing with it um so uh obviously and then she kind of went into a little more detail with what was happening in italy at the time and um kind of after i spoke with her uh my eyes were definitely opened up a little more um reached out to a friend that i have in connecticut that um he's the head he's the lead timer of boston and chicago houston um some of those other events and kind of asked him what was going on and he said well 
um, all of our events have canceled through the end of April. So um, after hearing him say that, um, I obviously was a little more aware of what was to come. So uh, that Wednesday, we canceled our own event um, that was due to be this weekend. It was a ultra race, the Prairie Spirit Trail. Um, it was, uh, it's a 50K through 100 mile. We had about 300 signed up and we made the decision to cancel that. Friday morning, I spoke to the second race and um, kind of encouraged them to cancel. And by Friday night, all of our races had canceled for that week. And, and then um, basically over the course of the next three days, um, since the Midwest seems to be hit a little slower with all of these things, yeah. um, I, I would say by Tuesday, we had uh, basically all of our events um, had canceled through the end of April, which was um, by my count, 30 events. Wow. So, um, so yeah, we, we, everybody's eyes opened up pretty quick. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy that kind of week of, um, I think it was March 9th. I was supposed to compete in the Spartan race on that Saturday, March 14th, also in California. And literally the first email I get when I land in San Luis Obispo, California on that Wednesday was that the race was canceled uh, due to the coronavirus concerns. So yeah, right. it, I, I can't imagine how it's impacting you know, your industry and kind of the similar industries like obstacle course races um, and such must be pretty, you know, pretty significant. I think one of the last um, emails I got like yesterday evening was that um, registrations are down 80 to 85% right now hmm. at this same point last year. And so that, I mean, that would be over the course of the entire year. That's not just registrations now. That's kind of how they're looking at registrations, you know, in November and December and, you know, any other races that are open up through that time period too. So, I mean, we've, we have, we are definitely at a standstill. And um, I mean, we, we have stopped really marketing many of our, um, many of our own events that are set to be outside just because, you know, I, the difficulty of issuing refunds or chargebacks or any of that is, um, it's difficult. And of course, you know, I, people's money's a little more, um, money's a little tighter for people right now too. And it's one of those things that you're, you're not expecting them to spend too much on entertainment right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and have, have you adjusted your business to do like, um, I don't know, like virtual or indoor type uh, events, if that makes sense? Yeah. So obviously our biggest, uh, our biggest source of income um, is race timing management and production of our own events. Um, we do some t-shirt uh, sales business on the side, but that's not not at all um, an essential piece of the business. But um, on, like it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I was thinking, well, what am I doing for another job here for the next, you know, two or three months to kind of help with the income situation? And um, it, it um, 
really came up with the idea of a 19 mile virtual race series for our company. Um, what we're doing is uh, we're gonna have six 5Ks over the course of the next five to six weeks. Um, and we're gonna have an obstacle course race along with it that um, all virtual races, but they're gonna total 19 miles to kind of get people more excited about a series. And my mindset with that, because I mean, obviously all of these canceled races are going virtual. My mindset was rather than kind of somebody being forced into a virtual race, maybe giving them the opportunity to sign up for a virtual race instead that they want to. Right. So, um, we've actually had um, a decent amount of signups. I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be, you know, something that we see carrying on, you know, beyond um, this pandemic. Right. And uh, as an athlete yourself, um, how have you adjusted your training as a result of um, what's happening with, uh, I guess, like the social, social isolation and all, like all the other restrictions. Right. Um, I, uh, one of the joys I find in my own training is it's a time of solitude for me. Um, so I, I, it's, I, I run, I usually bike, I usually swim on my own. I mean, that's just, that's always been my time to kind of reflect on things, on business, personal, religious, I mean, just whatever I can. Um, and so I've always looked at that as my time anyway. And so, I mean, really, obviously, when I'm out running, staying away from groups, um, but my training, yeah, um, I mean, Obviously, I'm not swimming right now because all the pools are closed. But, um, I mean, my running is still pretty good. And um, it's actually been a little more focused with less of the stresses of everyday life to worry about. So, um, but no, I was right. actually, um, I was training for the Fargo Marathon in May. And we got the announcement that that was postponed as well. So, I'm still following the same training program just to kind of see um, what I want to do May 9th. But, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, my training hasn't been affected too much. What is, what is a lot different, though, is I live in a small community in Kansas. Um, we have about 10, 15,000 people in our community, and I have never seen so many people outdoors on the bike path. Um, while I'm out running, while I'm out doing activities, I just, it's, it's amazing how many more people I'm seeing outside now than I ever had before. And, um, that's, you know, it's, it's just an interesting thing with how everything has changed, how people are, you know, in this little tiny community in the Midwest are getting outside and trying to enjoy the daylight a little more. So... Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, I saw the same th sort of thing in my community uh, in New Hampshire, actually. Um, you know, pretty small, small town as well. But I think it was sometime last week. There were a couple nice days, and I was riding my bike, and I don't think I saw. I don't think I've seen as many people outside. You know, running, walking, or or cycling, like ever. Even even on like nice summer days, I hadn't seen that amount of people. So it's 
yeah, it's it's crazy how many more people are uh, trying to take advantage of, like you said, that that daylight and nice days that we have to go outside. For sure, yeah. Awesome. So shifting shifting away from kind of the more, I guess, depressing news on the the coronavirus. Right. Uh, so you've obviously tried a, a bunch of different or gone down a bunch of different paths before you ended up kind of deciding to want to start something on your own. When did that moment come for you? Uh, so that moment came, um, my, uh, wife and I, so, so after flight school, um, I got a call from New York. Um, my ex-girlfriend was like, Hey, you know, what are you doing? You want to get back together? Sure. Why not? Um, so we got back together. (laughs) Um, I quit flight school moved up to New York. Um, again, that was her music performance was her dream and what she was passionate about. So I moved up, um, to be with her and closer to her and, um, did some, uh, oh, I did some odd jobs while we were up there at the time. Um, and really there's a long, there's a long biography in between. Um, but, when we got married, uh, decided to move back to Kansas. Um, we moved back here, uh, and, um, I, I had, I had gotten back into running. I had gotten into triathlon and, you know, endurance sports and things like that. And, um, all of these races and all of these other places that I did had chip timing. And, um, I, when I moved back here, uh, is back in 2008, um, Wichita was still doing tear tag timing at all of their big races. Um, there were still five, you know, 5,000 person races that were doing tear tag timing here. And, uh, and what, what is, uh, what is tear tag timing? So, <laughs> so tear tag timing is how all, all running events used to be timed. Um, everybody would have a, uh, detachable, um, you know, piece of basically paper on the bottom of their bib. Um, it was a, it it detached from their bib and, um, groups, everybody would be put into corrals as they cross the finish line. So even for a smaller event, you might have three corrals. And so what you would have is somebody there with a stopwatch or some other type of timing device to basically hit enter for everybody that cross the finish line. And so with tear tag timing, there's this spool where um, volunteers keep track of what place runners came in. And then you identify that place with the time once you go back to tabulate the results. And so if you're imagining it, a person crosses the finish line you have a volunteer hit enter on the stopwatch to stop the time for that person. And then you have another volunteer tear that tag off. And just imagine that a constant thing. You have a person hitting stop. You have another person tearing the tag off. And um, if you can imagine that for running events, um, the amount of time it takes to instantly get your results versus having to go in and manually input all of those results. Um, you know, there, there were some events that um, with tear tag timing, it could take 
three or four days to get the results posted because you have all of those numbers and participants to go through. So that so tear tag timing and, and it's tear tag timing is still done. Um, it is basically what um, if you have a large volunteer base, it's it's still pretty easy and cheap to do. Um, but that that wasn't something I thought was beneficial to participants in in larger and smaller events. So did I kind of did I did I go into enough detail of the tear tag timing? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And it's funny. It's funny to hear somebody say that. What's tear tag timing? Because I mean, there are still events in this area that do tear tag timing. Um, a lot of high school cross country still does it. Um, you know, and again, it, it's something that um, some you know organizations do to try to save costs on the timing aspect. Interesting. Got it. And was, I guess, running in enough of those events, um, I guess, help provide that that spark for you? Yeah. So, again, um, I, I came back here, um, was running events locally for like a, a couple months, saw that that was still kind of the standard here. Um, and I just like electronic to me, electronic timing to me just made sense for pretty much any event. So, um, so back in 2008, I decided to host my own event. It was this little um, beer run that we did here in El Dorado. Um, I had 35 people signed up on race day and we got another 35 to sign up that evening, but we did the tear tag timing for that uh, because it was just something that I wasn't thinking about but it took us probably a good two hours after everybody had finished to organize the results for those 70 people and um, I would say after that evening um, I started looking for companies that we could um, a company to invest in for the chip timing service to kind of help expedite that I guess yep Right. And did you realize there weren't there there weren't many out there? There there was nothing um in, in, in this area at the time. Um what I did is um I have a mentor, uh, I, I mean I, I would definitely call Don my mentor down in Oklahoma City. Um he used to own a company called DG Productions. And um, I found him, uh, I, I just found his name after I was looking for just, you know, local companies that do this type of thing. And um, actually did chip timing for a triathlon locally. And um, he was the only one um, that I could find within, you know, a, a, a two and a half, three hour drive that did the chip timing. So um, I actually went down and he was gracious enough to let me sit in on a couple of his events to watch the chip timing and kind of see how it went and how much how how much more quickly um, it helped the entire process move along. Um, so so for the first event that um, I actually did chip timing with, I rented equipment from Dawn. Um, I, I there were a couple events that I did. And um, just kind of learned the insides and outs of, you know, trying to connect the, the chip 
timing box computer to the to the computer itself and printing those results and um I, I could definitely say over about a month I, I learned more about chip timing than I have um over the past you know 10 years um I, I kind of <laughs> dedicated all my time to learning a little more about it in the process and how the computer program worked and um and yeah I mean once once I kind of rented once I rented his equipment a couple times and then um reached out to the company that actually sold it to him um to buy my own stuff and so um it, I mean it was a pretty decent size investment um but I mean again in in this area nobody else was offering that service so um I, I kind of wanted to be the first person to have my foot in that door. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Um, and you mentioned that when you moved back to Kansas from New York, that you started to get back into, um, you know, running and endurance racing, endurance racing. Why did you decide to get back into it then? Uh, just, I, I, huh? probably fitness more than anything else. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that triggers people to get back into events is, you know, an event that they see on the calendar or website or brochure that inspires them. Um, that it's kind of like, well, this looks fun. You know, I, I might give this a try. And, um, and I, I couldn't even tell you what event that was or, you know, which, which specific one it was. I just, I enjoy, um, I, I, I guess you enjoy testing your limits. You, you kind of set that goal. You have a goal race in mind and just the training, the process, the getting back in shape and, you know, getting fit for that a specific event. Um, that's something that still, you know, excites me it still excites me today to kind of have those events that you train specifically for that um you know you spent you can spend 12 weeks or six months training for but um you know it's a journey and um it's a journey and then you get to meet your goal at the end so i i think maybe that being said i needed some more goals <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, and I know, um, kind of bouncing around here a lot, but you said that when you're in New York, you worked some really odd jobs. Um, what were some of those? Um, probably, I mean, uh, there was, um, oh, I worked for a media company, um, kind of working on. I think it was media analyst or something like that was the position. Um, I also, uh, and, and, and I guess I have jumped around a lot because that, that wasn't, um, that, that wasn't the end of my, um, career choices or whatever. But, um, I, I, I worked as a waiter at an Applebee's in New York that had opened up, um, about, didn't get paid for a month. Um, just wow. because there were no tables, uh, actually <laughs> quit that job because it was like, well, I need to kind of get paid for this. Um, so those, those were probably the two oddest jobs that I did in New York. Um, 
outside of New York, um, I've managed, um, I, I've helped manage a couple running stores. Um, I've managed um, running rooms in Minnesota, and then I manage, or I helped to uh, um, manage uh, a fleet feet in Hoboken, New Jersey, as well. Interesting. So yeah, I'm I'm really jumping around. I don't know how much detail you want on those positions, but um, I've probably I've probably skipped a good ten years of my life by, you know, jumping right into the timer guys thing. No, um, no, no worries at all. Uh, I guess I mean it sounds like that you've you've you just tried so many different things before you eventually kind of found your way to timer guys. Um, I guess what insights or knowledge have you gained from any prior jobs to timer guys that have helped you in running the company? If, if there's anything, um, keep it, keep it fun. Um, try to find that thing that, you know, kind of keeps inspiring you to go in day in and day out. Um, you know, I, well, in, in managing running stores obviously gave me a, a, a foot into the industry. Um, we, we worked with events. Um, I, I got to participate in events while, you know, I was at those stores. I got to meet a lot of the athletes, um, got to, you know, hear a lot of different stories, um, got got a lot of different reasons why people were you know doing what they were doing um you know there's i think the insight in in kind of what keeps me going with what i'm doing is there there are so many stories um and you know don't try not to lose sight of those stories as to why people are purchasing your product or you know doing you know why they're holding an event you know it's sometimes you know we we have nonprofits pay us to time their events but then you know it's not just a nonprofit paying us they're not just our customer they also have a reason why they're holding the event you know and kind of educate yourself as to why and to what that nonprofit really is doing and you know steps that they're taking to improve the community and the target group that they're working with. And um, I think what inspires me and kind of that insight is there's, there's a bigger picture than just your business. You know, there, there's so many different stories that make up our business and what kind of keeps us going. Um, I, I think just trying to never lose sight of that is just always in the back of my head is it's not about the bottom line, you know, it's not about the money that we make or, you know, the, the a race being canceled or something like that. It's, um, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm rambling now, I feel like, but, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. It's more, um, it's more about focusing on the bigger picture and kind of the, the mission of the company um and kind of a greater purpose yeah. rather than just simply kind of the, the bottom line and you know driving revenue and growth and so on yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no worries um and i mean something else and to kind of you know delve into a company itself it's 
when things get easy, I feel like you're you're kind of putting the brakes on. Um, I, I I don't I always look for what we could do next. You know, it's I, I don't want to rest on our laurels by any means. I, I always want to, you know, see what we can do next. And, um, you know, there's always something else to do. There, there's always something else that um, we can help out with or, you know, try to improve. And there's so many processes that we can try to, try to improve and just kind of looking for that continual improvement um, within the company is important too. Right. Maintaining a, a growth mindset. For sure. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we've already, I guess, touched on, you know, timer, timer guys and the company a lot, but it may be for everyone's benefit who's listening, maybe provide kind of a, you know, a brief overview of the company and the different services that you offer. Sure. Um, so we, we manage time and produce races um, to kind of give a step-by-step of each. Um, we have nonprofits uh, in the area that hire us to sometimes manage their event. Um, that will include, um, and, and the reason being is that some of these nonprofits that start an event um, are just kind of looking for that extra source of revenue. And um, they have somebody that can kind of help recruit the volunteers and, um, you know, look for sponsors and things like that. But they don't have somebody that can just kind of focus solely on um, a lot of the logistics that come with an event. And so um, when we're hired to kind of manage, um, what we will do is um, help them with the permitting process with the city, with police, um, buildings, whatnot, um, help them kind of create a, a volunteer plan, um, help get their registration, um, online registration set up, give them some insight as to, you know, website tools that can help, uh, and um, we'll mark their course for them. Uh, we will uh, set up traffic control for their course. Uh, I mean, a lot of times we are the we are the people dealing specifically with the police officers, you know, and and other um, kind of governing bodies that come with it. Um, so that's kind of the management side of it. Is you know we have somebody hire us, and then we're we're dealing with a lot of the race day logistics. Um, and kind of making sure that that runs smoothly. Uh, from timing, it's, it, it is uh, just as simple as, um, it's as simple as timing. Um, what we'll do is we will come uh, set up a finish line arch. Um, we'll have a display clock at the race. Uh, we have chip timing for all the events that um, with the disposable chip that goes on the back of the bib number. Uh, we record times during the event, um, post them live online throughout the event, and then we'll do paper results and then as well as, you know, have the results posted in perpetuity on our website as well. Um, and with, with timing, um, we can do like email results for people. Uh, we could do text results. We can, um, kind of, uh, do like a, uh, mapping of results um, and location. It's just really dependent upon what people want, like split points, um, 
there, there's so many different things that we can do from the timing standpoint um, that, you know, it's again, but timing is as simple as that. And then um, production, we have, um, I think, and I say I think because we've um, we've canceled a race or two um, over the past year, but I think we have about eight races of our own that we put on. Um, some of them are ultra running events with distances from 50K to 100 mile. Uh, we have a triathlon that we put on here in El Dorado, a sprint and Olympic distance. Uh, we have a gravel grind that we do here in El Dorado uh, that's a 25 mile to 100 mile gravel grind. Um, then we have uh, well, uh, shorter uh, distance events. Sorry to interrupt, but what's a gravel grind? Gravel grind is, it's a cycling event on gravel. So, I, yeah, I, and I'm sorry because, because here it has become such a common event um, with Dirty Kanza. Um, so a gravel grind, it's a cycling event typically done on a gravel bike. Uh, a gravel frame or a gravel bike is basically, um, it kind of has a road bike frame but with um, more gravel-friendly tires. So think of like a, a cross tire between a mountain bike tire and a almost like a hybrid bike tire or something like that. It's a little thicker, but not as thick as a um, mountain bike. But gravel grinds have become huge here in the Midwest because we have so many gravel roads that people can ride on. And so okay. like road cycling is, isn't as prominent as it used to be just, and I think a lot of that comes with the dangers of riding on the road. You know, you have to deal with traffic and whatnot. Um, you know, you'll go out and ride on a road where people are driving 60, whereas a gravel road, um, here we have the luxury of having the Flint Hills right at our doorstep and, um, people can just you know, hit the trails on a, on a gravel road. And, you know, you can ride for hundreds of miles if you want on gravel roads here. Um, and so, so gravel cycling in the Midwest has become a really, really big thing. Um, I would say, uh, it's kind of comparing it to the way five K's took off, um, like, seven years ago um i i'd say gravel cycling has had that same um growth over the past year or two here in kansas it's just it's been huge huh i had no idea i was trying to imagine what what gravel grind could be but i had no i had no idea so <laughs> i i appreciate i appreciate uh the color yeah, I, it's funny i i never thought to explain it but um uh, but yeah it's uh, and the reason is it's just it has blown up so much here in the Midwest that um, it's just, you know, rather than choosing a 5K, you know, you have a choice of five 5Ks to do in the area. Well, once spring hits here, now you almost have a choice of three to five gravel grinds to do in the area. So, um, which is awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's nice to see growth in an industry that, you know, was, it, it's, I don't know. It, we see a lot of overlap between like triathletes, runners, and gravel cyclists. And then a lot of the people that were so committed to road cycling have now converted to gravel cycling. Um, 
I actually that I did um I trained for Ironman Lake Placid two years ago, might be three years ago now. And um, I spent the first week or two on my road bike and on my tri bike. And I mean, it scared the hell out of me being back on the road because I hadn't really been accustomed to being back on the road for long miles. And I ended up getting a gravel bike and pretty much did four months straight of training all on gravel with the exception of the last two weeks I got back on my triathlon bike just to make sure I was ready for it. And I have done multiple triathlons and I've done a few other Ironman races and it is the strongest I've ever felt for an Ironman. And I I mean, my distance never exceeded 60 miles. It was more about the time on the bike. You know, there, there was long rides of five, six hours. Um, but I mean, I, I had never felt stronger on the bike than I did that year that I just spent all the, did all my mileage on a gravel bike on huh. gravel roads. So, yeah, right. Um, I'm sure you're dealing with a lot more resistance, um, yeah. than you would on a normal and, road. Yeah. yeah. And the whole time. And, and what's nice about, and, and what's neat too, is, you know, with, with mountain bikes, you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of obstacles a lot of the time, and a mountain bike can only go so fast unless you're going downhill. Whereas a gravel bike, since you're on what is basically set up like a road bike frame, you can get more speed and still have that same position as you would on a road bike, which that's what really, that's what I liked about it is I like that road bike position. I like feeling like I'm on a road bike and it, it it's definitely more comfortable for five hours on a road frame to me than it is on a mountain bike frame. Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So how many races are you typically involved in per year? Um, on a, in a regular year with timer guys. Yeah, definitely a regular year. Um, we have, I, I would say 150 plus is what we have, um, what we have reached now. And that, that includes our own events. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I'd say about 150 plus is what we work with a year. And what does, uh, in what geography are these races typically in? Our, um, our biggest market is obviously the Wichita metro area. Um, we, I, I'd say that's probably about 70% of our market. Um, we work with some events um, down in Oklahoma City, down in Tulsa, uh, work with a, a few up in Nebraska and Kansas City. Um, and those are, that's kind of our geography is just kind of that, that three, four state area. Um, then, I mean, we work, um, we are contract timers in Houston for the Houston Marathon, Chicago Marathon, um, and Boston last year. Um, hopefully Boston again this year as well. Mm -hmm. Got it. Interesting. Um, would, are you looking to expand beyond the Midwest? I, um, if you asked me that two years ago, I would say most definitely. Um, 
I think the realization that I that we came into this past year is that um, with with the market that we have in Wichita, um, we just because we're just kind of in a different market um, and the amount of races that we work with from the management standpoint and um, it, it just, you know, if we were to expand much further, I mean, I, I would say it would be really nice if we could have, um, you know, uh, an office in, in Kansas City or maybe even in Oklahoma City to kind of help with that management side. But no, I mean, because we continue to get more events in Wichita. I mean, we, I, I would say for every event that decides they no longer want to hold it, we will end up getting another two calls for new events. So um, we're, we're, we're just, we're continuing to grow um, even just in this Wichita market. Now, obviously, I don't know if I can be saying that still three months from now, but um, right. just this past year, that's just, I mean, it, that's just the way it's been. And, and so we've kind of, instead of focusing energy on looking outside of the area, it was more, well, what else can we do in this area? And um, we've, we've added t-shirt printing services as well. Um, we do that for some events in this area. Um, and I mean, that's, that's helped, you know, add more revenue, um, to our bottom line. And, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's really a lot more that we can do to expand our services here than spending too much energy looking outside the area. Plus, you know, since we have our own events, you know, looking to continue to grow the, our own events that we have, um, you know, that, that helps add a lot too. So, um, I would say once we see that capped out, it, it would, it would maybe be a different focus, but right now, our, I mean, our focus is still primarily in this area. Got it. So really kind of focusing on where, focusing on growing where you're already strong rather than kind of broadening your reach in areas where you don't have as much kind of penetration. Right. And I mean, a lot of this in, in I, most every business is a relationship business, but you know, like in this area, we can, we can meet people face to face, you know, we can have a direct contact with them and direct line of communication. Whereas, you know, if, if we started looking in other areas, like, I mean, St. Louis, for example, you know, that's seven hours away. And, um, there's times that I'm, I'm never going to meet that race director. And thinking of that, I just, for us, that's just not really our business. Um, that's just not what our business is. Right. Got it. Uh, how many employees do you have? Uh, there are three of us full time. And then uh, we have about another 12 part time employees. Got it. Okay. Um, and who, who are your typical customers? Like, who are these people that you put on the races? Uh, the vast majority of them are nonprofits, um, uh, like, uh, Rainbows United. Um, they're an organization here. Uh, 
I would say the very, the vast majority of who we deal with are nonprofits, um, just looking for ways to raise funds, um, you know, for their cause. Uh, we probably, gosh, I, I'm trying to, really the only for-profit we work with is ourselves when it comes to putting on our own <laughs> events. Um, I don't think, yeah, I think pretty much everybody that we work with is a, a nonprofit in some regard or like a, a, well, and even like municipalities or like rec centers or YMCA or, right. um, you know, any of those, I, I mean, they're, they're all nonprofits. So. Got it. What are some of the tasks or responsibilities involved in putting together a, a race like an ultra marathon that people not familiar with race or organizing don't really appreciate? The food, the food is probably one of the most important aspects of any ultra marathon. Um, my partner, Trevor, uh, and his wife, Dee Dee put in, uh, a couple days worth of work um, into pre-prepping the uh, the pre-race meal. Um, we still do our own meals, um, you know, our own food for the most part. Um, and you know, food kind of inspires community, and um, that's like pre-race and post-race. Those are two of the most important aspects of the experience is the food um you know so we we always have a big spaghetti dinner um the night before the ultras and um as people are wrapping up we usually have like pancakes bacon eggs um that type of thing just some breakfast items um for them to have afterwards but uh it, it's it's unbelievable the first year or two that we were um organizing these events we just we didn't put a whole lot of thought into the food and it kind of bit us um pretty hard uh just you know it's it's really important to people they want good food when they finish up um right out on the course uh it's that same thing we'll have multiple um we'll have multiple aid stations out on the course um with you know food and energy drink and um, you know, other aid items that they might need. Um, and usually at each station along the course, um, we just, we have, we have amazing volunteers that, that pamper the runners as best as they can. Um, I mean, and, and that's probably something else that's a huge um, asset of ours is the volunteers and the staff that we have at those events. I mean, we have a we have just this amazing group of people that um, I mean, again, a year or two or the first year or two that we were putting them on, we were really we were really just fight, trying to find bodies to fill those positions. And now our mindset is more, you know, having quality um, just good people fill those positions that have experience and, um, you know, know kind of how to, how to treat people, I guess. Um, and, and that's nothing against, you know, anybody that we've had in the past. It's just kind of focusing on that experience aspect as a whole. Um, and, you know, making sure that we, uh, 
you know, it, making sure that a hundred miles for somebody, every time that they see somebody, it's a good experience. Um, you know, it's, they're out there for 24 hours, 30 hours. Yeah. You know, <laughs> anytime they see a person, you know, you want it to be a good experience. So, um, so, I mean, I would say food and the experience have been our, our two biggest focal points of the ultras. Um, we, we really don't put a whole lot of, um, energy into the marketing side. Um, fortunately for us, I mean, our word of mouth has been amazing. Um, something else I, I should, I should mention this because we've had an amazing partner in mile 90 photography. Um, there are, there are photographers for all the ultras that we put on. Um, they, they put out some amazing photos, um, and they have, um, they have really grown their business to, uh, to do a lot of, a lot of other ultras kind of outside of this area and kind of throughout the country actually. And the photos that they post are really a, a, a marketing, um, aspect for us because they're just amazing. Um, they spend a lot of time and effort and, you know, finding the best places to take pictures and kind of getting the emotions of the moments. And, um, that's, so to think of our three biggest things, it would be photography, food, and, um, just that, um, you know, just that energy and entertainment throughout the course. I wasn't expecting you to say food. Um, yeah. Were, so were, I guess your first, I guess, few ultra marathons were people or were racers like coming up after wishing that you guys had like a lot of food for them? Well, we had food. It just, I don't think at the time it was very good. Um, and, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I think when I'm at home making food, um, I, I kind of, I, I look at it as I'm putting my heart and soul into it. You know, you've got to put a little love into food. You know, I've watched enough food network shows or whatever to kind of see that it's not just about the ingredients. It's about taking the time and, you know, making sure it kind of little tastes and little food. And I guess just putting that effort into it. And I would definitely say the first year that we were doing these, it was just, this is just what we need, you know, and not really focusing on taking the time to do it. You know, it was just, we're going to get pancakes out. We're going to get, um, we're just going to have bread out here. You know, we're just going to have some tortillas, slap a little something on it. And that's that. And, um, yeah, I really, <laughs> and it, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, we in, I don't want to get negative feedback, but I encourage negative feedback because I want to know what we can do to improve. Um, there's always that continue again, it's going back to that continuous improvement and making sure that, um, you know, you're never settling for, you're never settling for what you have. And, um, we, uh, oh, with the people and participants, unfortunately, sometimes we don't get that negative feedback from them. They give that negative feedback to their friends or, you know, a lot of times we're hearing it from somebody else rather than the participant themselves. And that's what ended up happening to us is we started losing people, um, didn't know why. 
And we started asking, you know, other people as to why. Well, my friend did your race and said that such and such could be better or that. And um, so that's really how we found out to improve is, um, yeah, that's probably, um, yeah. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we don't directly get those responses sometimes. We usually hear it third hand yep. or second hand. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and do you, um, I guess, have you ever like sent out surveys to, to racers like post-race, like asking them how their experience was? We do. Um, I mean, we, that's something we constantly do for events. Um, and you know, obviously <laughs> I mean, the response, yeah, with, with, with surveys, sometimes you, we, we have to have a lot of open questions because, if you give two options, usually it's a 50-50 split. Um, so, uh, so we have to be really specific, and that's really what we look at with like surveys and things like that is the open-ended responses. Um, but like I said, I mean, a lot of times the people that speak the loudest are the ones that um, unfortunately sometimes aren't coming back because they had a bad experience. And so they're going to tell you every bit of what was wrong about your event. But with those, and again, it's that negative feedback. If we get it, it's like, well, what, what can we improve within what this person just said? What can we improve with this customer? Um, you know, did they just have one bad experience and that's that put them into spiral for the rest of the day or, you know, are there other areas that we need to focus on? Right. And typically, and I'm sure it depends on the event, but I guess maybe on average, how far out from race day do you start working on like all the, the manage, management and organization aspects of planning the race? We, um, so with a, with the ultras, we usually open registration for those about, I mean, I, really, we start planning for the following year, uh, probably about a week before the current year. Um, and, and the reason that we do is we start taking notes as to what, you know, what improvements we can make the following year. Sometimes we're just renewing a contract. We're looking at the following year's date, um, you know, even reaching out to volunteers and saying, you know, you're going to you're you're helping us out this year. Um, are you on board for next year? And so. Um, I mean, I really, when the, when the hardcore planning starts taking place is probably about six to eight months prior to the event. Um, but I mean, really we start planning for the following year before the current year is even up. Okay. And when would be the most stressful period of time for, for you and your company as race day approaches? Is it, is it, a couple months out, a few weeks out? Is it, you know, the day before? Is it on race day? It's usually for us, um, I'd say two to three weeks out. Um, The reason being is we have other events um, a lot of the time too. And so, you know, making sure that we've answered all the questions for the other events that we have that, you know, that weekend or the weekends leading up to it, Um, you know, we just get a a plethora of emails from participants doing our event plus organizers of other events. 
Um, and so, I mean, really that two to three week window is when we're getting a lot of emails and then even a week leading up to the event. Um, and, and again, I mean, I would say a lot of that stress comes from just having other events that we're working with, um, you know, making sure that we're managing those as well, um, not just our own. So, um, but yeah, I, the majority of participant emails and correspondence starts coming in about a week before. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, like t-shirts and, you know, trying to figure out when quantities and, you know, things like that and food supplies. Um, we start dealing with that all probably about 10 days prior to the event. So all, all stressful periods. <laughs> um, I guess, do you try to celebrate a little bit? Like every now and then, like it's kind of race day, almost kind of like your kind of like a celebration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, you know, definitely after um, even during the events, I think once people cross that start line and, and you know, the race started on time is where a huge sigh of relief comes because you know, you've, you finally, the start time has happened. The event has started, um, you know, all the vast majority of the planning's already happened. So, I mean, I look at the event itself as a celebration. Um, I probably smile a lot more during the event than I do leading up to it. Um, I mean, and even post of it, well, post event, we're usually so darn tired after these ultras that it's hard to, crack any type of smile but we do our best um <laughs> but but yeah i mean i really short answer to that is i'd say the whole event's a celebration for us um you know it's the planning's taken place the race has started it's you know it, it's managing it, it's kind of crisis management from then on and just making sure that you can prevent any crisis from happening right have you ever had races go like really poorly? Oh yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I would say, I, I don't want to name any specifics. I, I would say that reasoning for that, um, was just due to poor planning. Um, just some, you know, little missteps here and there. And, um, and again, it was that whole kind of juggling and multitasking. Um, we've, you know, focusing, too much on another event and then realizing that, oh my gosh, we have our own event. Um, we need to focus a little more on that right now too. Um, I, I would say that we haven't had any, in the past two years, I, I would say organization wise and um, management wise, these have, these have definitely been a really good two years for us in terms of managing the events. Um, and again, it just, it, it just takes time, you know, trying to work out all the kinks and, um, there are just sometimes going to be things that happen that you can't control and, um, you know, but learning, but learning from those things is the most important aspect, not forgetting, <laughs> not forgetting <laughs> what happened in the past. Yeah, exactly. Learning, learning from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, what does a poor race look like? Is it um, like a combination of like, oh, you didn't have enough t-shirts, um, didn't have enough food, 
maybe the chips weren't working the chip timing wasn't working right is it like a combination of things i it could definitely be a combination of things um we had we had one event in wichita that um i mean and it was it's actually one of our bigger events but um a couple years ago the police officer in charge of the event um fell asleep or slept in um and so as we're trying to get the course set up and manage and everything else um the head officer was not uh, <laughs> there or available to help so so obviously that kind of threw that kind of threw a crisis into the race and then um at that same event there were some mer emergencies out of our control that happened out on the course and so um one of our biggest events uh started about 45 minutes to an hour late um we could not uh we couldn't really tell participants why we just it was just a matter of there's just a delay for you know for reasons that we can't control and so um when you have 2000 people standing around frustrated because they want to get started on a cold day, um, there, that's, that's definitely a race that can go poorly. And then of course it, mm -hmm. it reflects on all of us with our attitude. We're, you know, the participants, we can keep a smile on our face, but there's definitely times that, um, you know, things aren't going so good in the background, but there's just some things that are out of our control, you know, and, and, our our job is to keep a smile on our face and you know try to keep people as calm as we can and you know do the best that we can with the situation hmm. wow all because of a sleeping police officer <laughs> yes yes <laughs> wow uh what's your ultimate vision for timer guys uh my ultimate vision and um uh that is that is a really good question um i i would like our company to be seen as um you know uh oh probably the standard of the midwest um with what we do and you know our our relationships with our you know our customers and our participants and things like that um my vision for us would just to kind of be that standard in the midwest that um you know other companies are looking to um for their um for their goals and kind of trying to see what they want to do um you know i i firmly I, I, yeah, yeah, I would just, I mean, that just simply enough that we, I would like us to be the standard for the Midwest. Yep. Yep. And, and did you get a lot of pushback from people saying that you shouldn't start this company or dive into entrepreneurship when you were, when you're starting out building it? Oh dear Lord. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, Timing equipment is not cheap and um, prices have gotten a little better. Um, but when I started this company, um, and actually my first company was a company called Oz Endurance. That's what I started back in um, 2008. Um, and that, 
Timer Guys was formed out of a merger between Oz Endurance and Go Race um, back in 2015, um, again with my partner Trevor. Um, so Trevor owned Go Race, I owned Oz Endurance, and we merged back in 2015. Um, but my first company that, I mean, I was sole proprietor of was Oz Endurance. And um, I mean, that was that whole mindset. I formed it out of, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to have some events of my own. I wanted to have chip timing. And man, I mean, that first year, I huge, I mean, I, I'm gonna have to say, and for me, it was a huge investment because it came out of pocket. I didn't go for any loans or anything. Um, but I think I invested $12,000 in timing equipment. Um, and that first year I had my, my own race and I might have timed another three races that first year. Um, and every year that kind of doubled. Um, but I was actually, um, I was actually doing accounting work as well at the time. Um, it wasn't until, oh, it wasn't until 2014 that I totally and completely, um, dropped the accounting business as well and um jumped fully into timer guys um and i mean it was hard but at that point for me it was i i need to make a decision i either need to you know focus on this accounting job that i have or i need to focus on this company that could really grow if i put my entire if i put all my energy into it and all of my focus into it um but yeah i mean i I got pushed back from a lot of people for probably that first four or five years, um, thinking it was a really terrible investment and direction and thinking it was more of a hobby. Um, in my mind, it was always going to be a business, but I think other people looked at, um, looked at it as a hobby, you know, and just something that I was tinkering with here and there. Um, but I, again, I, I always in the back of my head, knew where things could go if you know we just dedicated all of our if i just dedicated my time to it and fortunately we have seen that you know seen that growth um happen and but honestly i still get pushed back from people i there are so many people um in the network that i have that no matter how many times i explain my business to them they they don't understand it. They think that I am just, um, I, I think the vast majority of people think that I'm running races and like, that's how I'm making money is participating, uh, <laughs> rather than, you know, doing what we do. And, you know, there's also people that think that, you know, this job, it's, you're just timing and races are only on the weekends. Well, I mean, just like any other business we have, you know, administrative, we have payroll, we have marketing to do throughout the week. We have prep to do for all these races. You know, we have to prep the bibs and the timing chips. And, you know, we're constantly having meetings with, um, you know, entities that are involved with events. And um, yeah, I just, and, and there are still people that I have really close relationships with that I, I no matter how many times I try, do not understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing it or, how I'm, how I'm making a living doing it. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so much more 
more involved uh, in the business than a lot of people realized. I mean, mm-hmm. even even for me, um, I didn't even realize how much was involved before I started doing the research for, uh, you know, to talk to you t- today. <laughs> right. So it's a, you know, it's a very, very different sort of sort of industry that you're in. Well, and it's funny because um, Sam, Sam is who introduced us. Yep. And I think that um, Sam, when he came on as an intern, like the, the amount of stuff that he did was just, I mean, he did, he did everything. And I, I couldn't even tell you all the different things that he did. He had a different project that he had to do every day. And um, there are, there are just so many facets to the business that, um, you know, you just, there's just a lot, you know, and, and there's constantly more that we, we figure out, you know, <laughs> that we can do um, to even make those processes better. So, yep. Yep. And shout out to Sam Fry. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. And moving, I guess, moving away from timer guys now, uh, you're, so you're also an endurance athlete and coach yourself, right? I, yes, I, I'm an endurance athlete. Um, I am a, uh, I'm our summer swim coach here in El Dorado as well. Got it. And what is it about endurance sports that you enjoy? I, I mean, again, I, I like that time that I get to have for myself. I like to see, you know, you, a workout, you feel better when you're done with it, or at least I do. Um, I just doing, doing those activities just make me feel good. You know, when I, when it's, when a day or two or three without them, um, I, I notice my temperament change and my attitude and everything else. And it's just, it's, it's part of, it's part of me. Um, but when, um, when I'm training for a specific event, um, again, it's kind of having that goal and just, I, I set up a plan. I, you know, spend weeks or months, you know, following that plan and, then I have this end goal and, you know, you set different, you set different goals for the event. Is it just a finish? Do you have a time that you want to meet? Um, you know, what are those goals for that event? And, and I just, I guess I like, because our job is just so, so much multitasking. I think a lot of times now with endurance sports, it's that one thing that I have that I'm allowed to kind of have a plan for and it keeps me organized and it just, it kind of helps me follow a plan to an end goal, basically. And then when it comes to coaching the kids, um, I started, um, I used to coach triathletes. Um, That was, that was a way back. Um, I used to coach, um, when I was managing running stores, I was coaching runners as well. Um, And it's that same thing. It's, it's watching with with the coaching side of it it's watching i i always like those eureka moments i always like when something connects with somebody you know this is what we're gonna do this is why we're doing it you know a week or two later it's like oh well you know something came of that you know this this 
technique that you've been teaching me is now starting to register. My body's starting to recognize it and it has helped me improve this one aspect or something. And um, I think through coaching, that's really what I like, like to see is those eureka mo moments. And then again, those, those end goals. I mean, watching somebody else have have a goal or you know something that they want you know for our swim season it's only 68 weeks but they have a plan in mind at the beginning and um they then get to reach that goal at the end hopefully um and kind of sharing that experience with them is it's just it's inspiring it's inspiring um and kind of i mean and to expand upon that too, I mean, I think a lot of that is is why I love this job. Um, we at the finish line, we get to see so many different stories. Um, you know, somebody somebody's been training for weeks or months or whatever. And we get to see them cross that finish line, you know, their hands in the air, they get their medal or whatever. And if they're battling cancer, obesity, disabilities, a divorce, you know, anything like that, um, just watching them cross that finish line and being a part of that, it, you know, you just kind of look at them and, you know, just kind of, you get to share that experience with people and, you know, sharing those experiences is pretty inspiring. Right. No, for sure. Um, and what lessons um, from your experience in endurance sport racing and training have you been able to apply and translate over to running your business? You have to be flexible. Um, I mean, flexibility is important, you know. I mean, to, to translate it, you know, running injury or whatever, um, it's not always the end of the world. Um, you can adjust your training plan to, um, you know, you can adjust it instead of running, you can swim a little more, you can do elliptical, you can do something to help, you know, to help maintain. And, um, you know, with the business, you've got to be flexible. You've got to, you've got to understand that um, not everything's going to go to according to plan. You know, you're going to ask somebody to, you're going to ask somebody to, you know, give you an order for their bib numbers, you know, and they're going to give it to you three days late. And you've got to be able to, I mean, you can't just say, well, it's too late. You know, you've got to, you, you've got to make sure that you're still, you know, meeting those um, expectations of them as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, flexibility. And then um, I, there's another, there's definitely another, um, aspect to it that can really translate to, to the business as well. Uh, follow through. Um, and I don't know if that's the best word for it, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, sticking, sticking with that flexibility, you know, you, you, you still want to, you can't let things get you down. Um, you still, you know, have a plan in place and, um, you still have that end goal that you want to get to. And, um, to have that flexibility and that follow through, I think is important to meet that end goal. Right. 
flexibility, especially important in times like these. Yeah. So have, have you run an ultra marathon? I have, so a 50 K is considered an ultra marathon and I have, I ran a uh, psycho Wico up in Kansas city the first three years that they did that <laughs> event. It's called um, psycho Wico. <laughs> it's called psycho Wico. And, um, a buddy of mine, Mark, um, Mark Hawkins, uh, was, uh, he's, he, he was up in Kansas city at the time and he was like, Hey, and this was years ago. But he was like, hey, man, um, I'm looking at this uh, ultra marathon and it's only 20 bucks to get into it. And it's in, you know, uh, it's Wyandotte County Park. And um, he said it's a 50K. He knew that um, I had at that point never run a marathon. I had gotten injured in training leading up to every marathon that I had. Um, and so I was, and, and he was like, we're not going to go hard. We're just going to go do this. And so it's three loops around Wyandotte County park in February. And, um, oh my gosh, it was, it was awesome doing it with Mark, but the emotions that both of us went through for that ultra marathon, that first year, um, it was just funny. Cause it was his, I believe it was his first ultra too. And I mean, the trails were muddy. It was nasty. You know, I'm so used to road running. I hadn't really done a whole lot of trail running. Um, but you know, we crossed that finish line and I think we were like two of the 12 that did that 50 K that year. And, um, like I said, then we did it the next two years and, um, I just started getting busy and that, that actually became a period that we had other races that I was working um but i mean that race from that from those 12 people that first year i think they have well over 300 um doing those races now maybe even up to 500 doing their races now up there for that one but it's a fun event it was it was the first year it was called the um psycho wico run toto run <laughs> that's awesome some, some of the names for these are are just awesome in themselves <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also like, I feel like over the past several years, there's been this kind of rise in popularity of ultra running as someone who is involved in, in organizing a lot of these events. What do you think is compelling more and more people to want to to want to run ultras? I think a lot of it's just that next step. Um, I, I think it was, it was the same reason that marathons, um, and running itself grew, um, so much and, and i i would call like 2012 a lot i i would call like 2012 to 15 those peak years of growth and running and i think it was people just having that next goal in mind you know they had they did a 5k then they did a 10k then they trained for a half marathon then they trained for a marathon now what's next um and i think the ultra marathons obviously became that next thing but um what we see with the ultras and what we i mean a huge reason why we love doing them is just the community of ultra running um you know it's it's laid back um you know i mean there are definitely people that have time goals in mind um but i would say that the majority are more looking to finish that event and then kind of share that experience with the other runners um i mean a lot i mean what we see at the end of the ultras 
is, you know, a bunch of friends or strangers or whatever sitting down together, you know, eating a meal together, sharing their experiences together, um, of not just that race, but other races. And I really think, again, I think that that's what's really helped it to expand so much is just the community and um, just kind of having a little more laid back aspect to it. Um, you know, and I mean, and, and it's still a pretty freaking big accomplishment. I mean, yeah. you know, for somebody <laughs> to run 50 miles or 100 miles is just, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts to think that they can do that. And there, there are people that are doing 100 milers every month. You know, and it's, it just, it, I don't know. And I think a lot of the reason is because of the community. You know, and, and two, you know, to have, again, that sense of accomplishment, you know. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, desk jobs and you have the same routine day after day after day. And to kind of be able to break away from that experience and you know, spend that time with yourself or with other people out on the trail that the conversation has nothing to do with work. It has to do with life and you know, whatever else. I mean, the, I mean, you can only imagine the conversations people are having when they've been up for you know, 30, 40 hours straight. It's, it's, it's nuts, you know, but, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, uh... It's insane. Um, and how many people typically compete in one of your hundred mile races? In the hundred miles, um, I think we usually have about fifty or sixty people do the hundred mile races. Um, and and you know, I think oh, we've been up to eighty for some of them, but typically that number of people will start. And you'll have about a quarter of them drop some way along the trail for um, just whatever reason, you know, injury or, you know, lack of food or drink or whatever, dehydration, you know, hurt muscle, hurt knee. Um, but yeah, I mean, for 100 miles, I would say, you know, any probably around that 50 person um number uh the 50 so so with all of our ultras we have a 50k a, we have at least a 50k a 50 mile and a 100 mile and probably about a quarter of the people do the 100 another quarter do the 50 mile and then half of the people are doing the 50k got it that makes sense and what's the average finish time for something like a hundred miles for a hundred miles um kind of that um the the goal finish time for most people is under 24 hours um, <laughs> that's that's what a lot of people want to do um all of our ultras have a 30 hour time limit that you know sometimes we can extend to 32 um depending upon conditions or weather or whatever um but the vast majority of people are finishing probably in that 22 to 26 hour window. Wow. And, but that being said, the number of people that we will have finish right at, 
with with 10 minutes to spare or 20 minutes to spare is it's it's unbelievable um it is inevitable at those races that we will have at least one or two or three participants that are within 15 minutes of the cutoff so they've they have they have paced themselves for a hundred miles to be right under that cutoff time. And that's, that's what blows me away is somebody can pace themselves for an entire race to know that they're going to finish in a 30 hour window. And, um, and they do, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun because I'm usually with our races, I'm usually the one, um, doing course ops. So I'll be out there um, and then we have cutoffs at all of our aid stations along the way as they come back. And so I'll be the one that's out there um, with a couple other people cleaning up um, each aid station. So packing everything up and bringing it in. And so I usually get to be out there with the last, you know, five to 10 people and get to watch their entire journey, you know, from 50 miles out you know, back to the celebration hall, um, which is where, you know, our, um, that's actually the name of the building that we hosted in at celebration hall. And, um, it's cool. I mean, to just kind of, I mean, again, you get to share that experience with people for, you know, almost 16 hours. I mean, it's, it's neat. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's great. So what's kept you driven as an entrepreneur, athlete and coach? feeding my family um (laughs) (laughs) of course probably one of the one of the biggest things is feeding my family um but really again it's it's kind of that it's what's next what what can i do next to improve our business to improve myself um you know to improve our situation or whatever um and and that's that's always in the back of my head is just continual improvement um, in in really every aspect of my life. It's not just entrepreneurship and you know family. It's it has to do with you know personal and emotional and religious and whatever else. Um, it's just that constant improvement and you know making sure that I'm not settling. Right. Uh, that's awesome. Um... Well, I think we can wrap this up, but, um, before we do, I have one last question. Um, what advice would you like to give to someone listening who is maybe currently unhappy in their job, but isn't sure when the right time is to leave, uh, that job to pursue their dream? There, uh, I think you would be blessed to have a moment that is the right moment. Um, I think you have to look inside. Um, I've, I've always believed in trusting my gut in a lot of business decisions. I mean, really in just about every business decision that I've been made or been a part of, I feel like you have to trust your gut. You have to, you know, there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be people that, um, you know, question, question why you're even thinking that way. Um, but, you've you've got to trust your gut and just take a leap because there's never a perfect time to do anything um i mean when when i took my leap 
and decided to you know fully focus my attention on this um in my gut i knew that if i didn't make that decision i was going to regret it and mm. i think it's it's important to not have those regrets um and again i mean you sometimes you just got to take a leap of faith and um it, it's got to be well thought out you know but um I just, I don't think that there's ever a perfect time. I think that you just got to take it. Yeah, just got to go for it. Kind of trust your gut, have a growth mindset, and, and never settle. Right. Awesome. Well, this has been awesome. Um, Patrick, I really appreciate your time. Thanks again for, for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Chase. I, I appreciate you having me. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for some of the long-winded stuff, but that's just the way I roll. <laughs> no, no, no worries at all. Um, where, where can people go if they want to learn more about timer guys and all the different races that you guys help organize and run? Uh, we, I mean, we have Facebook timer guys, um, Facebook at timer guys. You can, uh, go to our website at timerguys.com. Uh, you could contact me if you had any questions. It's Patrick at timerguys.com. Um, and like all of, all of our events, um, are listed on our website. We have an events tab, um, as well as the vast majority of the events that we're working with throughout the year. Uh, we have a calendar of events as well for them. Awesome. And you guys can also follow me on Instagram at chase Rosa four for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.